engaging your provider, engaging your community up front, deciding what your model should be, um, and then just creating a plan and executing that plan is very important. This is episode 228 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. A number of states have laws on the books that obstruct local governments from directly providing high-quality Internet access to businesses and residents, or even partnering with local providers. Nebraska happens to be one of them. In Lincoln, the community found a way to work within the confines of the law by using publicly owned conduit and creating a welcoming environment for private Internet service providers. As a result, Lincoln has entered into an agreement with the local provider Allo Communications, who will use the conduit to build its fiber-to-the-home network. David Young, Lincoln's fiber infrastructure and right-of-way manager, talks with Chris this week. David discusses the early days of the project and how it has evolved. He also shares more information about the franchise agreement and more about the partner Lincoln chose. Be sure to take a few moments and listen to Chris's interview with David and several of his colleagues in episode 182 from last December. Now here are Chris and David Lang, Lincoln, Nebraska's fiber infrastructure and right-of-way manager, talking about the community's conduit network and how they are capitalizing on it to bring better connectivity and technology to Lincoln. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with David Young, Fiber Infrastructure and Right-of-Way Manager for the City of Lincoln and the Public Works Department. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to speak with you again. Um, Last time we had you on the show uh, was the uh, day after my son was born um, because um, he came a little bit early and I really wanted to get that interview in. So (laughs) I'm a little less frazzled today, although once again, some traumatic events this week as we're recording the week of the election. Yes, uh, I did enjoy seeing your son at the uh, Broadband Communities uh, Conference. Uh, Good looking kid. So it looks like he's very healthy. Yes, yes, he's he's doing well. Um, now, I wanted to I wanted to note that um, since we spoke, you've become um, you know a bit of a, a trade show hopper. You you were at the NTIA in uh, Big Sky in Missoula, um, where we served on a panel together. Uh, and then you, I think, knocked him dead here in Minneapolis for the Broadband Communities Conference. So um, you know, I hope that people will feel that you're a more seasoned, more big get for us now. Oh, I, I think you're being overly kind. Uh, how much can you talk about broadband in front of a group of people who know a lot about broadband? So, <laughs> Well, I just want to see if I can start off by making you blush and, and be modest. Um, we're going to talk about uh, what, some more details that I've learned um, about uh, the franchise you have with a fiber to the home provider in your community that results from your system of conduit. Um, and, I, and I think people should start by listening to that podcast that we had done previously. It was in December of 2015. Um, but for a quick refresher, uh, for people who aren't familiar with Lincoln, uh, what have you all done to supercharge Internet access in the community? Um, starting in 2012, uh, the uh, mayor and public works department came up with a broadband uh, technology plan. Uh, basically, uh, the goal was to attract new carriers to the market and have those be very specific carriers. We wanted Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3 carriers uh, to provide competitive access to broadband for businesses. And uh, under state law, uh, Lincoln or any city in Nebraska is not allowed to provide municipal broadband. So uh, Lincoln kind of took stock and figured out that what we could do is put in conduit systems. 
and lease out those conduit to, to other providers. So we initially put in five miles of conduit in our downtown area as part of a uh, revitalization project and uh, started looking around and found 80 miles of abandoned water line, um, probably 40 miles of abandoned uh, wastewater line. We repurposed those lines into conduit systems and traffic conduit, old electric conduit, uh, old natural gas lines, uh, basically any pipe we could get our hands on and tied it into a conduit system that now is over 350 miles. Uh, we've leased that out to uh, seven carriers total. Um, when we got down to the last space, we started talking about, uh, gee, this is pretty successful. Uh, maybe we ought to look at fiber to the home. And so we started working with different carriers and financing uh, professionals to build a fiber to the home program with that last space in the conduit system. And in December of last year, we signed that agreement. And can you believe it's already been a year? <laughs> so it's uh, been very exciting on our side, very busy. Well, yes, I can imagine. Now, how much did the city spend in creating this asset? In total, about $1.2 million over four years. Um, so there was about 600000 up front in conduit expense, and then staff time and maintenance and a $600,000 CIP. So a little bit more than uh, about $1.2 million. In CIP, that's Capital Improvement Program? Uh, yes, I'm sorry, yes. Uh, for all those in the government, CIP is the uh, Capital Improvement Plan, uh, which is a six-year plan that uh, is how you allocate your capital dollars uh, across programs like streets, water, sewer, those kind of things. So if we ignore the new businesses that have come to town using some of this uh, fiber that these carriers are leasing from you, and if we ignore the, the better um, competitiveness of some of the businesses that were already in town, uh, what are some of the direct benefits the city has had just in terms of raising revenue from that $1.2 million that they spent? If you're only talking pure money from the system, uh, we make $475,000 a year in lease revenue. That's like a three-year payback then, just from that alone from today. Right. And, and we've been making money since 2013. So uh, 2013 is like 65000 And then you know we had two more leases in 2014. And uh, really, 2015 was our banner year. Uh, so uh, right now, we're at four seventy-five. dollars uh, With the Aloe project, we're expected... Uh, to be in the neighborhood of two to two point seven million a year by uh, twenty eighteen. And Aloe is a local company. Um, it's in Nebraska. I know people in Colorado are familiar with it. It has incredibly well regarded by its customers, from what I can tell. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit more about Aloe, and I think you know it's in kind of a unique position uh, there in Lincoln. Uh, Aloe is a Western Nebraska company. It was uh, started by, uh, they like to say, Nebraskans for Nebraskans. And uh, we, the city, was meeting uh, and doing presentations on fiber to the home and the value of the community uh, to various local organizations, uh, building that uh, community support for the program. And uh, we were meeting with financiers and talking to them, and uh, Aloe was brought in. Uh, and offered to competitively bid on the Fiber to the Home project in Lincoln. Uh, we had another company, uh, Blue Stem, also bidding on the franchise. And uh, Blue Stem is still in operation. They are building one portion of the city. And so we actually have three Fiber to the Home projects going right now. Uh, Aloe won the citywide franchise. Blue Stem is doing a small neighborhood um, in northeast Lincoln. And then our incumbent provider, Windstream, 
has announced that they will upgrade 5,000 homes over the next two years in southeast Lincoln to fiber of the home. So it's been very successful just uh, from a community planning aspect of uh, partnering with the private sector to build this infrastructure. Uh, but it took a lot of lot of work. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's we're going on our fifth year of operation. I want to clarify something with the franchise, um, which is I think sometimes people think of franchises as being um, exclusive. Now, you when you talk about offering a franchise because of the limited conduit space, um, that's a franchise to use that conduit. Uh, a company like Bluestem, there's nothing stopping them from building to the rest of the city. They just wouldn't be able to use the same asset that Aloe is using. Is Am I getting that correct? You are. Um, we had one space left in the conduit system and I will tell you sometimes that space isn't even there. <laughs> so um the the conduit system is getting very full. Uh it is it's been very successful. Um so uh, the last guaranteed spot in the conduit system, uh what we said was we wanted somebody to provide fiber to the home services and uh, in order to do that we wanted a franchise for that last position. And uh, Allo and Bluestem both worked with the city very closely uh, for, it took us about 90 days to come to an agreement. Um, and uh, Allo was ultimately chosen uh, to do the project. And now when you say there's no more room in the, in the conduit, I'm assuming that over time you'll fix that. You'll be putting in extra conduit or you might be doing something uh, differently now because it's not like this is the end of the conduit forever. Correct. No, 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 no. There's nothing to prohibit uh, the city from putting in additional conduit. And we are. Um, the new conduit system, as we're building it out, is designed for six carriers uh, occupancy, and all extensions of the conduit system uh, that are performed by private providers are deeded over to the city and owned by the city. So we get all of the additional expansion. All expansion construction is now under the new standard of uh, six-pack of conduit system. And we did talk about that in the previous show. So if people want more detail, I invite them to go uh, review that. The transcript's on the uh, on our website, immunitynetworks.org. Um, but when, before we get into the franchise, which is where I'm, I'm really excited about some of the things that, that you guys are doing with that, um, I wanted to, to make sure people understand Allo is a little bit of a unique company that has, I think, more of a local focus than other companies. And the reason that I think it's important is because um, other cities that might think, oh, well, we'll build our own conduit system. You know, you may not get the same results. I, I hope that they would. I hope that they'll find firms that are interested. Uh, but um, Allo uh, has a direct relationship to another Lincoln company, Nelnet, which uh, I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit more about in terms of how Allo is capitalized. Nelnet is a... Uh... Nebraska-based uh, student loan provider, I believe, in a bank, and they have been very successful, very community-focused. Uh, they were one of the entities we were working with to build community support for the Fiber to the Home program, and uh, Nelnet uh, decided they would uh, capitalize the entire project uh, for Allo. Um, so they really believe in the community and Lincoln, Nebraska, in you know, broadband is an infrastructure that is uh, designed for 21st century cities and that they wanted Nelnet, their hometown, uh, to have that infrastructure. But it's my understanding they have given uh, Allo a $100 million loan to build the entire city. 
Right. I just want to, I think, you know, from my perspective as someone who works at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, we love seeing that kind of local focus, local businesses investing in the community. And, and I think the city of Lincoln has really done a great job in terms of making it easier for that to happen and really facilitating that. You know, in particular, um, because you have this conduit system, you have a little bit more leverage in negotiating with Allo for this franchise. Um, you know, I, if you didn't have the conduit system, do you think you would have had a different discussion with Allo? Yes, and I think that, you know, I, I have talked to several communities in Nebraska and a few surrounding states about this project. And um, I think your your cautionary statement is uh, very correct. You know, sometimes building a conduit system isn't the right model. Um, but I do think that engaging your provider, engaging your community up front, and deciding what your model should be, um, and then just creating a plan and executing that plan is very important. We had the last space in the conduit system. We had a very successful model, and we had a ton of community support for our program. Uh, when you put those three things together, um, yes, we had a, a significant uh, asset walking into the negotiations uh, for the Allo project, and I think that that was borne out in the agreement. So uh, it was. It was. I, I wouldn't describe it as leverage. I just any partnership. What you bring to the partnership is creates value for you. And uh, what the other party brings creates their value. And so we were just trying to maximize value for both parties. Um, and with a very successful system already in place, uh, we had a lot of value on our side of the table. And because you brought that value, you could then make asks of Allo. Uh, and, and one of the things I, I would start with is this idea of the SSIDs, which is, um, uh, I think we're using that as shorthand for virtual networks. Um, an SSID is the name of a wireless network that you see when your device is trying to connect to a Wi-Fi network. Um, now tell us, in terms of Allo's network, um, how these virtual networks are involved. Chris, you're going to cause me to geek out and your listeners may want to fast forward to this next section. Well, I think there's other people who might be fast forwarding to this section because we, we really? don't geek out enough. You never know. So one of the sections of the uh, franchise, and this is a public document, anybody can have access to it, um, is uh, called Service to Government Buildings and Facilities. Uh, standard clauses in many franchises, but uh, there's one section I'd like to read it to you. Um, the franchisee shall provide 15 virtual local area networks, VLANs, across the entire system. Uh, the public VLANs shall be provided free of charge to the city for non-competitive use. These VLANs shall be available at every connection and termination point on the franchisee's network. Um, to those network engineers out there listening, they will have a big smile on their face um, because that means I have... 15 virtual networks across the entire system that VLAN, uh, that Allo deploys, and at every termination and connection point, meaning wireless access points, I can have access to those VLANs. I can turn up my own SSID, um, Lincoln Public Schools access, uh, Health Department access. Um, uh, those are a few of the ones that we're working on right now. Um, a public VLAN access for education. Uh, is in our library system, combining those two together so they are available on the entire system. It is very exciting. Um, VLANs, if you really want to go to sleep late at night, uh, just look up and read about VLANs. And basically, it's just an addressing system uh, for, the, for the network. And we have 15 of them. 
And let's let's talk about a uh, one use case that I'm very excited about. I've been uh, in some ways evangelizing for this type of approach. The intricate technology is not as important to me as the the sense of what you can do with it. And so I like to imagine I have a child um, in the public school system. Um, they have a device likely from the public school system. Um, this is hypothetical, of course. Jackson is almost one year old. Um, <laughs> um, but what happens is wherever he goes with that device, uh, as long as those VLANs are there, that device could just log in. And so if he's at a friend's house or or even if, you know, maybe I'm a low income uh, family, if then he goes um, out to a public access point or perhaps his, the neighbor's signal is there. And if the neighbor has consented to this, then his device will just connect and effectively he will be at school on his device. With all of the school's network security policies and access to all of the public school's resources, the public library resources, it would be as if seamlessly he was inside school on the same network. So yes, that, that is the, the, one of the most exciting use cases for uh, us as well. The nice thing is, is that if you're a parent who's really worried about your child uh, being on the open Internet where they might find material that they're not even seeking and would be inappropriate, uh, the fact that even in your home, you wouldn't even have to worry about managing that connection. Because I think a lot of parents are worried that uh, that their kids are going to be more tech savvy than they are and or they're just worried that they won't have it set correctly. But now, even in your own home, your kid is uh, using that device, um, you know, behind the filters and using all those resources. Uh, to me, that just seems like it's a very good solution. We were very excited about it. Um, it was one of those conversations, you know, it's like, what could we do with this? Uh, what would be the, the actual cost of providing this? And it's not a lot. Um because you know there's some version of over 9,000 VLANs on a particular network. So what is providing 15 cost? Uh, not a lot from the provider, um, other than willingness and creativity of thought. You know, by building this network as a public-private partnership, there was kind of a higher level discussion than just a dollar here or a dollar there. It's what could we do together, and uh, the the virtual uh, Network virtual local area network VLAN project is actually my personal favorite part of the agreement. And as we go forward, uh, we're connecting all of the traffic signals in the city uh, as they're building it out. Uh, we have a, a new program called Greenlight Lincoln, uh, which is upgrading our entire uh, traffic system to the 21st century. Uh, we'll be putting in a, no, a new ATMS, Advanced Traffic Management System. Uh, next year uh, to leverage all of these new connections. And over the next three years, every uh, streetlight in the city will be connected to this new ATMS system. So let me just suggest that perhaps your traffic engineers uh, haven't seen Die Hard 4. Um, that's a little <laughs> bit concerning. <laughs> Technology should be treated cautiously. Um, I agree. And Die Hard 4 was a, a wonderful movie. Um, but <laughs> yeah, especially the part where the car flies up to take the helicopter out. But uh, it's not something I've seen more than 10 times, I assure you. <laughs> um, but, but if you think about you know, commute times and uh, public dollars and impacting people's daily life, if we can make the system more efficient, that, that impacts everybody's life, life every day. Uh, right, whether yep. you're riding a bus or whether you're driving your own car. 
Right. You can you can do like um, prioritization for public transit. You can, um, you know, as you said, if everyone spends uh, less time in congestion, you're not only saving them time, you have less pollution. There's tremendous benefits uh, to this. On that. And then the other piece is um, what if we don't have to widen the road? You know, to widen the road costs us uh, a road widening project for one mile is $10 million. What if we can just upgrade the, the infrastructure and allow more cars to travel through faster? Uh, we don't have to spend that public dollar there. We can spend it on maintaining that road instead of widening it um, and impacting those properties that are adjacent to it. So it, it is really exciting for us. Uh, it's an exciting time to be in Lincoln working with the Public Works Department, um, you know, fiber to the home, uh, the fiber to the business project, the uh, Greenlight Lincoln project. Uh, there's a lot of technology projects going on right now in Lincoln. Well, we talked about a couple of different aspects with the franchise. Is there anything else that you see that um, you are doing in Lincoln, working with Allo, that others aren't doing where you're getting ahead of the curve? Defining the characteristics of service is something we do in our franchise. Um, so uh, we basically, you know, in most franchises, you provide service to the city. Uh, great. Um, but we go a little further. We say that uh, all residents and subscribers shall be provided service under non-discriminatory rates, terms, and conditions, uh, meaning everybody gets the same price. No more negotiating for price. We also say that there are no residential contracts for service allowed. So if you don't like the price you're receiving, um, you're not locked into a contract. Um, we also do not allow uh, installation fees except for in very unusual circumstances. You can't get charged to have it installed. Uh, there is no contract, and you're paying the same rate as your neighbor. We think these are actually very good things to put in a franchise because it creates a very competitive uh, marketplace for the carrier. They have to compete on customer service and quality of service, not on contracts and the fact that you negotiate better than your neighbor about price. So I think that's important, and I think that uh, other communities should consider doing that. Um, I'm staff for the Telecom Advisory Board for the city, and a lot of the complaints we get are, well, my service isn't great from X carrier, and I pay too much, um, but there is no competition. That was the single most, uh, the highest complaint that we received, the highest number of complaints that we received was, there's no competition. So when you're building out a new infrastructure and you're going to build every home, ensuring that those competitive roadblocks are not institutionalized in your franchise agreement uh, was very important to us. And I think other cities could look at that. So I want to talk briefly about rights of way management, which is a part of your title. Um, and I'll, I'll telegraph that uh, you're going to be back for a show in, a, in a later this year or, you know, in certain, I don't know, maybe another 10 episodes uh, in which we are going to be talking about uh, some small cell deployment type stuff that your approach is enabling you to do. Um, but one of the things I, I feel like you've done in Lincoln is that you have simplified permitting in ways that um, both Aloe and Bluestem uh, may find it easier to pull permits and to to build than they would in my city, in St. Paul, Minnesota, perhaps. Um, do you have any advice for communities in terms of dealing with rights-of-way? One of the major initiatives we had in 2013 um, was how to make our system more business friendly and permitting was the number one area of conversation with every carrier we talked to 
And so uh, we did a little reorganization project and a study inside of Public Works and identified uh, every staff position that was associated with managing the right-of-way, inspections, plan review, um, private development, public development, and we put them into one team uh, called the right-of-way construction team. Uh, and that team is responsible for all public-facing uh, right-of-way construction projects, meaning uh, if it's a natural gas project, if it's a water line project, if it's a sewer line project, uh, if it is not a CIP project, so not a capital project, then this group manages that and works with the public to ensure uh, a fast, safe, and affordable project. As part of that program, which is part of that program, we created an electronic permit system where carriers or franchisees can upload their plan set in a very simple permit, and our goal is to have that approved in two business days or less. Um, sometimes we get a little bit longer than that, but most of the time we get it approved in about two business days. And one of the things you had told me before was that um, when it comes to dealing with these uh, these companies, many of which I think local governments are frustrated with because they don't feel like they can get enough out of those companies in return for use of the right-of-way, I think you've said those companies are much more willing to negotiate on terms that would be viewed as favorable to the community if the community can turn permits around quickly. That's the thing they really care about. Well, the old adage, time is money, uh, is very important um, from the time a salesperson goes into a business and says, I would like to provide you with next generation broadband to the time the company can actually deliver that broadband is is a very sensitive topic. Uh, the faster they can do it, the better they look to their customers. And when they go slow, they point the finger at the city and say, you know, the city's, we can't get through permits, blah, blah, blah. If you can align your interest with the company, which is, you know, the city wants that customer turned up on broadband. Uh, we want them to be a happy customer. They're our customer, too. So uh, streamlining the permit process, it, it takes a little insight, you know, into why you're, why you're a community, why you're a service provider in the community, um, and what your values are as an organization. For public works, it was providing good customer service. Well, that means providing good customer service to our uh, corporate clients as well, and permits is how we do that. So establishing a goal, making that goal known, uh, putting a goal in the contract, um, that gives the carrier comfort, allows them to kind of forecast a little bit better. And so it gives them a better level of customer service, a, a better sense of partnership in the agreement instead of a one-sided agreement. And, and it has paid off with us. All of our contracts have 15 minimum day turn times permits, and we try to do it in two. Great. Well, I want to ask if there's any last words of wisdom you might have, um, you know, from your um, entire lifetime working on uh, this conduit project. <laughs> uh, you know, this is the second conduit project I've worked on. Getting out there and talking to the community is critical. Let me ask you about that for a second, right? Because I just imagine me going out and trying to talk to people in the community about conduit, and I imagine people rolling their eyes and being like, I'm bored or I'm not interested. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, I don't talk about conduit. <laughs> okay. I talk about the Internet. We open up with a couple of jokes, and, you know, everybody laughs, and we have a good time. And then we talk about the Internet and why it's important in their lives. You know, the, the access to a trillion-dollar marketplace, um, the competitiveness with other cities to attract and retain young people, young workers. 
Um, we talk about you know the highest paid IT jobs, network engineers, database administrators and architects, server engineers. You don't get those jobs unless you have a good, robust broadband infrastructure. People get excited about that. Um, people, a lot of people still don't understand you know, truly what the Internet is. There's a feeling uh, in some circles that it's a nebulous thing. Why is it important to me? And so my presentations generally are, you know, 10 slides and 15 jokes, and then we talk about, you know, what's really important to them is how their business can leverage the Internet to make more money, be more customer-focused. I'm done in about 30 minutes, and then we talk for, answer questions for 30 minutes. And it's a great time. People feel like you're actually talking to them about what's important to them. We don't really talk about conduit. Uh, usually I bring a, a piece of conduit, a piece of fiber, and pass it around the room and let everybody touch it and feel it um, so they kind of get an idea. Um, when I first started here in 2012, um, almost every group that I went to that I took this piece of conduit and, and fiber to loved it. I mean, people wanted to see it. They just had never seen it, heard about fiber their whole life. They've never seen it. They've never touched it. Uh, so giving them that tactile sensation of, handing around and, you know, a piece of hard conduit in your hand and somebody says, well, what happens if somebody digs into it and you bang the conduit on the table? It's pretty tough stuff. <laughs> and and they, they laugh and, you know, it's uh, it's it's just a good time. You know, uh, you have these visions and, and I've been to these meetings where it's long and painful and slow and, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, but it takes a lot of work in building a presentation that's fun and exciting and really talks to what people care about not what you care about. So I care about conduit, but most people really don't care about that. They just care about the Internet and how it impacts their life. So talking about that uh, is the best advice I can give people because people get excited about that. And then you get to you know, ask for you know, support, um, asking for uh, help in the community to prioritize budget money for that project. Um, it's a finite pool. People want to support projects that they like. Um, so you have to get out there and, and market your project to the community so that the mayor and city councilors hear from those groups to say, yes, we want this. Yes, we want to support this. This is a good thing. I think that's a, a great note to end the show on. So thank you so much for coming on. Chris, thank you very much. That was Chris talking with David Lang, Lincoln, Nebraska's fiber infrastructure and right-of-way manager. As the network unfolds, we will bring you more news. Remember, we have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter where the handle is at muninetworks.org. Subscribe to this podcast and all of the podcasts in the ILSR podcast family on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research by also subscribing to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. We want to thank the group Mojo Monkeys for their song Bodacious, licensed through Creative Commons, and we want to thank you for listening to episode 228 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Community Broadband Bits